So I've told our staff that sometimes I'm not very good at stopping and enjoying and celebrating the moment. I'm, I'm just kind of ready. I'm, I'm ready to just keep, keep going. So something happens and sometimes I forget to mention it or, or say something about it. And there have been a few things that have been going on in the church that have been, been really great and just fun and, uh, and exciting and to be a part of. And so I just want to call out some of those things. A couple of weeks ago, we did a chili cook-off and brownie throwdown, which was amazing. Incredible chili. Yeah. Woo. Yes. We can, we can clap that out too. It was delicious. It was incredible. Um, I was incredibly full afterwards. And so I just want to congratulate May and Brenda for winning the, yes, absolutely. Another woohoo. I, I like the woohoos. Those are great. Uh, for winning the coveted golden spatula and ladle respectively. So well, well done for that. That was, that was amazing. Um, yeah. I think, I think some people were willing to share their recipes. Others, you know, could tell you, but they'd have to, you know, um, but, it, but it, great stuff. Last Sunday, we had a baptism after church that afternoon. Uh, so really, that, that was really cool. Um, yes. Let's just, do, let's just do that today. Like every time, every time I say something, just say woohoo, and, and we'll just go. I, I, I like that. Yeah, all right. That's, that's good. That's a good church tradition we're going to start right now. All right. Just kidding. That would get, that would get obnoxious. And I probably don't always say things that deserve that <laughs> afterwards. So, hey, I appreciate you for not laughing too hard at that. I, that, was, uh, that makes me feel a little bit better. So, yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Uh, so that came after a conversation. I, I love Paul. Paul's an amazing uh, example to me in his commitment to following Jesus. He's been faithfully serving and following Jesus for years, and we had just talked about his his background, and he had been sprinkled a long, long time ago, and we just talked about, hey, what's the example that we see in Scripture, and what did Jesus do? And, and uh, so that led to that conversation and, us, and him being immersed this past Sunday. And so um, I, I just, he is such an amazing encouragement to me, um, and I, he doesn't want me to say anything <laughs> like that about him, uh, but I just appreciate him so much. That was really cool. Uh, men's and women's breakfasts have been amazing, small group, all that, that kind of stuff. Moments of Hope is coming up this weekend, um, and we would love for you to, to participate in that. Um, and so I just wanted to share, I just wanted to kind of take a breath in a moment and kind of celebrate some of those things and enjoy that. Um, here, here's, a, <clears throat> here's how we're going to jump into the Minor Prophet book of Haggai this morning, or Haggai, however you want to pronounce it. Either one would, would work for you. We're in the sermon series called Minor Prophets, Minor, Le- Minor Prophets, Major Lessons. Minor Prophets are just shorter version of the prophets in the Old Testament, and it doesn't mean that what they have to say is any less important. And if you've ever enjoyed building things, if you like working with your hands at all, or feel that sense of accomplishment, that once you've done something tangible, you can look back at it and say, hey, I, I did that thing. That, that, that feels really good. Or if you've ever wanted any kind of more purpose and meaning in your life other than just kind of living day, day to day, then the minor prophet Haggai uh, is, is for you. Weighing in at only two very short chapters, you could read Haggai, and, and I'm going to keep pronouncing his name differently uh, throughout the morning, apparently. You can... You can read, I don't know, through in, in like five, ten minutes. And so I'd encourage you to do that and be in that. <laughs> yeah, good, good times. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that sometime, sometime this week because we're not going to read through every single verse in, in the book. Last week we talked through Zephaniah and how God has let his people know that the more they live like everyone else in the world, the more they're going to experience the consequences of everyone else in the world. And they're going to, in fact, be overrun and lose their autonomy. 
Well, Haggai picks up after all of that has happened. The Assyrians have run them over. The Babylonians have come. They've conquered them. They've taken them away. They've spent 70 year, almost 70 years at this point in exile. However, after all of this, the Babylonians were taken over by the Persian Empire, and the Persian king Cyrus had given the Israelites permission, a remnant of them permission to come back home and to rebuild the temple and rebuild their lives together. The book of Ezra, which is more of a historical book in the Old Testament, will talk a lot about this. And so you could read the book of Ezra along with the book of Haggai and kind of get the entire picture, the historical context of what's happening along with with the people. So a remnant from Israel returns to build the temple in the city. And they've been there for a number of years by the time Haggai comes along. And he's a prophet from God and he's sharing this message uh, to the people who've now come home. And so we read in Haggai chapter 1 verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. The beginning of this book, this first, first verse, is, is kind of a new thing for us as we kind of go through the prophets because um, it calls out the fact that Israel is no longer autonomous anymore. They're not ruling themselves. King Darius of the Persians is actually in charge of them now. And so they're just kind of over there, you know, and under the rule of this foreign power. And it's a reminder that they have returned from exile, but they're not going back to how things were. Things are not going to get back to normal. And so they've got to get used to the idea of moving forward. And so in verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And God's referring to the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians almost seven, 70 years ago. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed King Solomon's temple that was, um, that was huge, was amazing. This was the richest period of time during King Solomon the Israelites had. And so the temple was incredible. It was something to behold, but all of that had been burned down and was gone. And this was the temple that Cyrus had sent them back with materials and previously stolen artifacts and objects used in temple worship. And he sent them back to rebuild the temple, but for years the people have not been working on this project. And so in verse 3 of chapter 1, the the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? This might sound a little bit weird, but because for us, at least for me, when I think of a paneled house, I don't think of a nice house. I, is that offensive? I don't know. Should I say that? Um, I, say, I feel like I can say that because we bought a paneled house. We, we bought a house with paneling. And I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about the nice stuff. I'm talking about the faux stuff that they just slapped over unfinished drywall. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? I ripped that stuff out and finished the drywall you know, as, as soon as I could, okay? Um, so a lot of times we think of that like late 70s, you know, we've kind of given up on the whole idea of wood in the house, you know, kind of thing. All right. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm, but that's not what this is talking about. And when I think, when, when I think of wood in the house, I think of, I think of like a library full of books and rich mahogany, you know, that's how you know you're important um, when, when you have that. So I'm, I, I'm picturing, that's what, that's kind of the imagery that's, that's coming here. Not just kind of wood that's been, been slapped up on the wall but just really nice, luxurious things that the people of Israel during this time have spent a whole lot of time building their own houses. They've been focused on building up their own lives, trying to make themselves as, much, as, as comfortable and important as, as possible. And God says, hey, but, but my house over here is still in ruins. You haven't, haven't done anything over here, so what's up with that? And this is what 
the Lord Almighty says, start in, in verse 5, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Why? Declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. So God had brought the Israelites home after their exile in Babylon. The Persian Empire was in charge now, had allowed them to return back to Jerusalem. Life was going great, except something was missing. People were living in homes that were well taken care of. And Haggai says, hey, um, even though you have a bunch of stuff and you're important, your house is great, you got money in the bank, you know, you're growing things and all that kind of stuff, it still feels like something's missing, doesn't it? still feels like something is empty. And some of us know exactly what that's like. We, we've been there. We know exactly how that feels. It feels like something is missing in life. Even though you have all of these things, you feel unfulfilled. And it's because you're enjoying the blessing of God's providence in your life, but you aren't celebrating and worshiping him for it. So, so the blessing of, of God being a part of that, like the results of that, were what was being celebrated and focused on, but not God himself. And so God says, hey, you've put a lot of stock in curating this busy, well-to-do life for yourself, and you still aren't happy. And it's still not producing what you thought it would. And so think about that give careful thought to your ways that God says, and consider that your lack of contentment has much to do with your motivation and the focus of your efforts. Your house might be in great shape, but if you're neglecting God, your life isn't in order. If you read through Ezra, you'll find that the Israelites had a decent excuse. Their, enemy has, their enemies had manipulated the king of Persia after Cyrus into telling them to halt their project. Uh, they were threatened by the Israelites. They didn't want to see them succeed. And so they were threatened by force to, to halt. Essentially, they got caught up in the politics of the day, which caused them to stop building the temple and saw them get on with building their own lives like everybody else around them. And it's going along with a status quo that is exactly what had gotten them into trouble in the first place. And they followed into that same pattern again. Okay, we're going to focus more on what everybody else is doing and tell us we should do versus what God had said. And this scenario that they find themselves in that God is calling out should feel very relatable for all of us as disciples of Jesus. Because living according to the status quo is the default position that we find ourselves in tension with regularly. And not only in tension, but tempted to participate in regularly. The Israelites had gotten so used to their life in exile that they were still operating as if they were still under control of those in power. But, but they never really had been. God has been the one who has been in control all along. And God had to point out to them something we need to have pointed out to us. That when we live only according to how things are right now, in the moment that we find ourselves in, we'll miss what God is building toward in the future. And what he wants us to be focused on and what he wants us to be motivated by and what he wants to guide and direct us in how we think and how we live practically in our life. And so God says, hey, just, just take a moment. Just stop and think about this. Think about what's going on. You're in cruise control. You're living normally. You're, you're doing what everybody else is doing. And um, it, it's, it's not producing the life that you know deep down innately you've been created to experience in this life. Um, things don't just have to be how they are. One of the phrases I, I hate um, more than any, that's really strong. Um, you're not supposed to hate, I hate this one, but um, it is what it is. 
I hate, I hate that. I hate hearing that. I, I get it. I, like, I totally understand. It, it is what it is. But man, there's so many, uh, so many areas in life in which we stop so short from what we could be going towards just by saying, well, it, it, it is what it is. Eh, can't, can't really do anything about it. Well, maybe, maybe there is. So God says, give careful thought to your ways. You're in this flurry of activity. You're busy all the time. You've got things going on. The kids are going this way. You're going this way. You've got all these things, work, and you've got the house to take care of. You've got so many things in your schedule. You've got so many things that seem like they're good, they're normal to participate in, but you're not content with anything. Again, very relatable stuff. We think through moments in our lives in which we have not been happy with the result of our effort or not found satisfaction in the things that we want or not been content with the way our needs fulfilled, then, then we can relate to what's going on in the lives of the Israelites here. It's because those things don't fulfill the innate desire for purpose and meaning and value that we have been created in the image of God with. We, we need something, we need a bigger purpose, a bigger meaning other than just, you know, our stuff and the, the normal everyday living that we participate in. And so God calls us out. He said, hey, you're, you're expecting more out of these things, but these things are not what produces the more. It's, it's me. We know, not me, it's God. We know what it means to be busy with our own house. Always something to do, to clean, to fix, to improve on, to maintain, to use, to even to enjoy. Busy with all the work that we do to maintain our lifestyle and to get the house. Also familiar with looking around and wondering if we have much to show for it, too. It all depends on what they are in, those things are in service to. James, um, in his letter in the New Testament, calls this out in us. He says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. There was good that the remnant had been called to do and equipped to do. They were sent back to rebuild the temple, to rebuild their lives under, under God. Um, but they were not participating in it because life was, giving, was living them versus them living life. And I, and I get, I totally understand that they were under political pressure from their enemies at the time, from those who wished to do them harm. But the damage to our souls um, has an Im infinitely more significant impact than any threat of social and political d discomfort when it comes to whether or not we choose to follow God versus choosing to follow normal, everyday life. And so God says, again, give careful thought to your ways. God repeats this multiple times. Are they actually producing the happiness and contentedness that marketing and branding and everybody else is telling you that you should feel when you acquire their product? Or do you find yourself ready to get off the merry-go-round and participate in the scope of something much bigger and impactful and produces a better life? By nature, people who give careful thought to their ways and what their ways are producing have a much healthier perspective on the world and their place in it. Those who don't get caught up in the idea that if life isn't producing what I need, I just need to live it harder, hustle more, do more, consume more, um, all that only produces feelings and experiences that aren't sustained. They don't last. It's a clue that we should be looking for a better way. It's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The problem with this returning remnant of Israel is that their treasure was only in life on earth. It was in their homes. It was in their stuff. It was in their money. When we treasure the things of earth, we ignore the treasure of heaven. But when we treasure heaven, we value the things of earth as they are meant to be. To their credit, however, the people hear this message from God through Haggai, and they repent, and they obey, and they start building the temple. In chapter 2, though, it's apparent that they have hit a little bit of a snag. Uh, It's readily apparent to them that this temple rebuild is not going to match the former glory of Solomon's temple. And maybe you can relate to that just just a little bit. Let Let me give you an example. Um, in August, I got a chance to go on a trip with my dad and got to see a couple of different um, uh, places of worship. One was the York Minster Cathedral. Um, I've got a picture. I took that picture. I was there. Um, but I didn't take a selfie with it, so yeah, I can't, I can't prove it. Um, is that, I don't like seeing... I shouldn't talk about that. That's fine. I don't, if people go to these historical places and like, here's my face right in front of it. I don't get that. I, I don't understand it. I'm... I'm becoming an, an old curmudgeonly, you know, uh, get off my lawn. Uh, get your face out in front of this historical thing. And this is just one part of the interior, just kind of this amazing, spectacular. Took a couple hundred of took a couple hundred years to build. It's massive amounts of resources and craftsmanship go into this. It's the, this amazing thing. And then um, I compare that and I think about the, this is St. Margaret's Chapel. This is at Edinburgh Castle. Um, a little, little bit different. I don't know if you can tell the scale. This is the interior, like this is the front part. I showed you at York Minster, you know, their, their big area, the center of, of worship. This is St. Margaret's Chapel and, and what it looks like. Um, which is more impressive? I guess that could be rhetorical. I mean, York Minster, obviously. It took a couple hundred years, all that kind of stuff. Now answer, which builders and worshipers were more faithful? In which place? It'd be an interesting conversation. Um, much more involved to answer, but I do know that what I do know is that while we most often default to using external metrics, God uses internal ones. It's about what's happening in our heart and our soul and our mind and how we're using our strength. And the heart of obedience that we approach what God has called us and equipped us to build is what produces the results He desires. Because the people were looking around and saying, all right, you told us to start rebuilding the temple, but man, it's not going to be anything like, there might have even been some people still alive that remember the glory of Solomon's temple. It's not going to be anything like what it was before. And so we're, we're not really feeling great about what we're producing. And sometimes we get caught up in that in our world. The comparison thing, we're looking at somebody else's life and <laughs> we're saying, they look a whole lot more like a York Minster. I look a whole lot more like a St. Margaret's. And yet that's not God, how God at all is looking at those things. Um, it took the York Minster Cathedral over 200 years to be built, still undergoes restoration. And we're continuing a lifelong building up of what God wants to establish in the world. Instead of opulent buildings, however, he is content with men and women who humble themselves to construct something of eternal value with their lives that continues to ripple effect through the future of humanity versus building temporary things that become lost, destroyed, and corrupted. So when God is looking at our life, he's not saying, oh, well, uh, he's a York Minster over here, and he's a St. Margaret's over here. She's a St. Margaret's, obviously. I mean, you can, have you seen her Instagram? And, and over here, you know, she's, she's definitely a, a York Minster. Here's what God says in Haggai uh, chapter 2, verse 9. 
He says, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You keep reading chapter 2 and God makes it clear that this is a continual work in progress, that what we bring to the table is made a worthy offering by him because our efforts are through him and him through us. And it is the consistency of faithfulness and obedience that builds up that which glorifies God and enables us to participate in his blessing. And that's what he wanted his people to understand. Hey, this is not about how cool the temple looks. This is about faithful, consistent obedience through generations and through the course of time that brings us to the point that God is going to do what he is going to do through Jesus. So God says, give careful thought to your ways. What are you building up to in your life? God's blessing of return home for the Jewish exiles is not just about enriching themselves and having a better, more free life, but to rebuild the temple and worship and to be the set-apart community that they were called to be from the beginning. And I think if our imaginations can capture the life that God wants to build with us that he describes throughout the entirety of Scripture and, and the life that he wants us to build with him and with each other, we'll be motivated to get to work. That life is at its best in harmony with the creation we're called to steward and the relationships with others that we are connected with, built with God at work in us. God is contented with the most humble of temples in this life. I know this because the temple that he chooses to build in us and to dwell in us is us. It's, it's you and it's me. And together we make up the church, which is not about a building it's about a people who are obedient and faithful to God, who are building up the kingdom of God, who are concerned with the things of God. And God has called us to build the church because it produces treasure in heaven that cannot be destroyed or stolen away, and it points others to who is meant to be glorified in our life. There's so many different, uh, there are a couple different passages that I'm just going to throw up on the screen uh, where Paul in 1 Corinthians a couple different times in Romans chapter 12, um, he says, hey, we're, we are the temple. And there, there's, there's a reason why it matters how we live our life, why we don't get caught up in sin, why we concern ourselves with the eternal again, scope of eternity and what God is up to and what he's doing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you can check those out. You can read those as, as they're on the, on the screen. But you, we are the indwelling place of God at work in, in the world and among each other. Again, the York Minster was constructed over 200 years, still requires regular maintenance and expertise. And we could talk about whether or not that's what God really wants us to use our resources for. Um, but there were people, the, the reason I bring that up as an example, not because I think it's better than St. Margaret's Chapel, but there were people who started the work that were never going to see the completion of the work. It took over 200 years. So the people who initially started it and planned it and were a part of it, they were working towards something that they were never going to experience or, t or, or get to see the completion of in that moment. And yet, the motivation behind that was to honor and glorify God. Yes, some people were there for a paycheck, but isn't, isn't, that, kind of, isn't that kind of the thing? Is that, that's the difference, is that some people are there for maybe the results the blessing that they hope that they get versus some people are wanting to partner with God and what he is up to and what he's doing. And we know that that gives honor and glory and worship to, to him. So giving careful consideration to our ways 
as we learn through Haggai, means we're thinking about the goodness that we're called to do and know we ought to participate in versus the temporary pursuits of the world. And listen, this is not um, um, in practicality difficult stuff. Um, the, the, you know, the things that we read through, the patterns that we see in the New Testament, particularly what it, what it looks like for us to respond to Jesus. I mean, it's not like um, God creates these really intricate, long, um, difficult to understand rituals that we have to participate and have to find, you know, you got to find, you know, go on a quest to find 50 different ingredients to then put them this way. And then three years later, you'll be able to do this thing. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to make, make something up. No, he, he says, hey, um, come together and worship together regularly. Right? So he says, celebrate together as a body of believers. Come, come together and worship. In fact, one, one, the first day of the week, just come, come together and celebrate together what God is doing. Do, do that. And then, um, and then he says, connect with each other in relationship. Be with each other. Be there to encourage one another, to, to pray for one another, um, to care for one another, to help each other you know, move, you know, wh- wh- whatever it is, to, to share a meal with one another. Connect with each other. Um, and he says, hey, and, and participate in contributing what God has blessed you with in your life to, to, build, to build this community up together. Um, we, we just say celebrate, connect, and contribute. It's out there in our, our lobby. It's like, what, what has God called us to do as a church? That's what he's called us to do. So we gather together for worship on, on Sunday mornings, and we gather together in small groups, and we're in relationship with each other, and we care for one another, and we spend time with one another, and we serve, and we give, we contribute. You know, th- those are... Um, those are really conceptually, I mean, those are, those, those are simple things, but what makes it difficult is when they aren't prioritized and when the normal living in the world and the things create tension and the temptations of us pull us away from those things. And that's, that's when problems are, are created, and that's when we're taken kind of off course away from what God is wanting to build up in our lives. And when we participate in those things faithfully, in, in obedience, with the, with the right heart and motivation and attitude, we're building up something that's not just of, you know, uh, temporary significance, but of eternal significance. And the ripple effect that is felt throughout history, I mean, we're still, we're still passing that ripple effect along. From the very first early church, as they gathered together and shared the gospel with people, we're participating. We, we got the benefits of that, and now we get to share that through, through other people. It's the consistency with which we participate in the building up of God's people and God's church that we see good fruit of godly results at work in our lives. And that is what will produce what we will treasure the most in our lives. Haggai ends with the promise that God will bless the people for their consistent faithfulness because of what he is building it up and in through their lives. And we happen to know that that leads to Jesus. That's, that's where God is headed, headed in, in this building up. And that's what we want our lives to be building up toward and leading to as well. And so I want to encourage you to participate in the building up of the kingdom in your life. Give careful thought to your ways. What is the purpose and meaning and motivation and value that you have? Is, is it temporary or building up treasure on earth? Or is it something eternal, long-lasting? So many different ways that you can build up the church here within this church that I want to encourage you to participate in. If you're not part of a regular serving team, 
Uh, we'd love for people to help out with Velocity Kids. We're, there, there's, that's just one of example of so many ways in which we can build up and participate. But just, just that idea of thinking about the time that we invest in to, to kids with, with the gospel, sharing them the love of God and Jesus, the motivation for, for, for life is, and, and the impact that has so much further down, down the road. It's such a great example for us to think about what God is calling us to build up in our life. It feels good to build something with our hands because we can look back and celebrate and participate in whatever that thing we built up. But, man, we get eternal significance by doing that with what God is doing. And building the kingdom of God deals with within the scope of eternity. Building our own house up only lasts for so long. And so let me encourage you to give careful thought to your ways, like God says through Haggai. Think about, think about the results that you're seeing, maybe the, the, the contentedness or lack of contentedness that you're, that you're experiencing. And give careful thought to what God is calling you to build up in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Um, thank you for faithful prophets like Haggai that were, were willing to kind of step out and share a, just a very clear and direct message to the people that, hey, you know, there's, uh, there's something else greater to be a part of here. And God has called us to uh, something, something more than what our everyday normal lives have to offer. And Scott, we just ask that you show us very clearly through your Holy Spirit how you're calling us to build up uh, the kingdom of God, how, how you're calling us to, to build up the church and um, build, build you up in our lives and the lives of other people. God, we uh, praise you for how you have worked through the lives of others that have impacted us and brought us to this place. And we ask that you uh, encourage us, equip us to keep passing that along. In Jesus' name we pray.